Well, I am Kevin Jackson, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm an elder here at Windsor Road Christian Church, right? Just getting the title right, Windsor Road Christian Church. Um, And uh, the reason I'm here is because our pastor, Randy, is not with us today, and from time to time when he uh, does something uh, that uh, causes him to be unavailable, and he's doing something worthwhile, I promise, um, he asked me to, uh, to stand in and, and share a word with you. So I am just privileged to do that this morning. And so uh, why don't we start with a word of prayer. Uh, Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you uh, for loving us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for this time together, Lord. Um, thank you, God, for for bringing us together. I I just thank you personally for this privilege to um, be in this place at this time. And I pray, Lord, that as I speak, as we have a conversation, um, that I will be removed from this, that that although it's um, my words coming out of my mouth, it is your message. I pray, Lord, that our, all of our hearts will be open to hearing what you have for us this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, a couple of things, just as I set up shop a little bit. Um, I actually teach at the university, so those of you who haven't seen me do this before, I use PowerPoint because that's who I am. Uh, uh, another thing, I'll just kind of give you fair warning is that, uh, so when Randy asks me to do these things, he usually gives me about two months' warning before I'm going to get up in front and, and, and deliver a sermon. Well, this time he only gave me one month. Um, and so there's some good news and some bad news. The good news is that my preparations for the sermon, I got four-fifths through my preparation, right? The bad news is that last fifth is usually when I start cutting down the length of the sermon. So... <laughs> Uh, so you guys are going to have to bear with me this morning. All right. Um, so we've been going through uh, this conversation. Randy has been taking us through this conversation on things to give up. What are we giving up? And it's kind of along this Lenten season theme where as we approach Easter, uh, there are things that we give up in order to draw closer to Christ. Right? That's the point. Um, And we've talked about, so far, we've talked about things such as grudges. We've talked about things like anger. This morning, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about worry and giving up worry. Uh, Our focal passage is going to be from Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 22 through 31, verses 22 through 31. Uh, Just a couple of things, I would say. One is, is if you're, uh, if you don't have your own Bible, um, there's a, a Bible, it should be a blue Bible, very close to you in the, I think they call them chair pockets, uh, in front of you. You can pull out that Bible. Uh, actually, our scripture lesson or focal passage is going to be on page 871. I looked it up before, 871. Um, and um, if you don't have a Bible to call your own, please, please don't hesitate to take that Bible, write your name in it, take it home with you. It's a gift. It's yours for you. Uh, the second thing, just before I get started, I thought you might just 
uh, I don't know, put your finger in this place after I read the passage. Don't close the Bible real quickly um, uh, because I'll be referring back to it from time to time. Just want to make sure that, that you have it, access to it. All right, so let me read the passage here. Um, uh, then Jesus said to his disciples, I'm reading from, chapter, from verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So I wanted to frame our conversation about worry, kind of using this passage. But really, I wanted to answer uh, three questions this morning. Uh, the first question is, uh, what is meant by worry? What does that mean? What is Jesus talking about when he speaks about worry? Uh, the second question is, what is the cost of worry? Um, it's no surprise I'm probably going to be encouraging you to give some of that up, right? So what are the costs of holding on to this worry? And finally, uh, the third question is, how should we respond to worry? As believers, as Christians, how should we respond to worry? Um, so the first question, what is meant by worry? Um, well, um, here's, um, I've, I've been exposed to this passage. Many of you probably have been exposed to this passage at other times, fairly familiar with it. And when I've thought about this passage, I've thought about things like, uh, if I'm a student, uh, I have an exam coming up, and I have some fret. I'm fretting a bit about this exam coming up. And maybe this passage is telling me, okay, Kevin, you probably shouldn't be fretting about that exam so much. Or uh, another example might be um, I have a friend who is having certain symptoms. They're going to the doctor. They have a doctor's appointment. And I have some concern about my friend going to this doctor's appointment. And maybe this passage then speaks to me and says, okay, maybe you shouldn't be so concerned about that doctor's appointment. I've also thought about parents who uh, may have older children, and they're going to take their child, they're driving them off to college, and they have that angst about letting them go to college because you've been there and you know what time it is, right? You know what's going to happen. And so you feel this angst, and maybe this passage says, okay, you shouldn't feel so much angst about, about uh, this situation, about leaving my child at a college. As I read this passage in preparation for the sermon, I actually felt like Jesus was saying something more than that. Uh, clearly, these are all things that we can take to God. God wants us to come to him 
with our concerns, with our angst, with our things that are, we fret. Um, but I think God has a, or Jesus, is, is making a broader point. And to help us understand what Jesus means, what I want to do is I want to see what inspired Jesus to have this conversation with his disciples, right? Because if we look in, in verse 22, it says, therefore, I tell you. So something happened, and in response to whatever happened, uh, Jesus says, therefore, I want to tell this to you, you disciples. So what happens? Well, if you've kept your place, as good students would, uh, you would... If you look at verse 13, I think this is where it all starts, where Jesus is finding the inspiration or the impetus for having this conversation with his disciples. And what we see is, is in verse 13, um, a man, uh, Jesus is speaking in a crowd, and a man raises his voice and says, Jesus, tell my brother, tell my brother to split the inheritance. Uh, Jesus has a a couple of select comments, but uh, in the end, this is what Jesus comes down to. He warns against greed and says something to the effect, and depending on your translation, this may differ, your life isn't defined by your possessions. In other words, don't make your possessions central to what you do, okay? Don't focus on your possessions. And then Jesus goes on to tell a parable, and Uh, Jesus tells a lot of parables, and many of them have a rich man in them. And this is a parable in verses 16 through 21, where it tells of a rich man who has many crops. He's he's really just uh, experienced a bumper crop, and he's kind of lamenting. He's going, I don't have any place to put all these crops. And then he says, well, wait a minute, I know what I'll do. I will tear down all of my itty-bitty barns and storerooms, and then I'll build great big barns and storerooms, and that way I can accommodate all of these crops. And he's so excited by this, by this thought. He hasn't done it yet, but he's excited about this thought that he says, uh, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Um, So what this is telling us is that this rich man, um, he has uh, these bumper crops, and his soul is finally at rest, will be finally at rest, when he finds a way to store all of his crops. Then the implication is that he's unsettled, his soul is not at rest until that occurs. When it occurs, then everything is good. Well, at the end of the parable, God, and this is in the parable, but God talks to the rich man and says, you fool, you fool. Don't you know that this very night that your soul will be required of you? What a waste, in other words. You've wasted your time. You've focused, you've been consumed by this idea of storing all of these crops And that very soul that you expect to be at rest is going to be required of you. That's been such a waste for you to do that. And that ends at verse verse 21. And then we see verse 22 where where Jesus says, So therefore, do not worry about your life. 
So what does he mean by worry? Given this context, what does he mean by worry? I think what Jesus means by worry is that we shouldn't be preoccupied. Preoccupied. Um, So um, what Jesus is saying is that um, these individuals that we learn about, starting in verse 13, the man who yells out from the crowd about splitting his inheritance, the rich man who has these scraps, they are preoccupied with possessions or with security. They're preoccupied by it. They won't be at rest until they get their needs satisfied. And Jesus says, don't be preoccupied by that kind of thing. And by preoccupation, what what I mean is allowing something uh, to remain in a prominent place, space in our mind or positioning something at the center of our decisions. So be wary of being preoccupied. So let me just give you some examples of some common preoccupations. Uh, I'll start with some, um, some worries, legitimate worries, that sometimes leak into preoccupation. I call these Worry-related preoccupation. Um, So one example would be health. Um, And and this is a legitimate thing to be worried about, to have concern over. Um, My my mom, um, who lives in San Antonio, where it's nice and warm, um, but she struggles with rheumatoid arthritis. She's had that for the last couple of years. And it's something that she's always aware of. When she wakes up in the morning, as she swings her foot off of the bed, she understands that she has a health issue. And uh, when she walks around, when she's thinking about trips that she might take, she's taking that into consideration. But she's not preoccupied by it. You know, if I, if I talk to my mom, um, I have to ask my dad, okay, so how's mom really doing? Because my mom, although she's completely aware of where she, her health is, it, it doesn't occupy this, this prominent space in her mind, and it's not the center of all of her decisions. She's aware of it, but she's just not preoccupied by it. Another worry-related preoccupation uh, career and money. Now, they're different things, but they're often linked together. Um, and actually, I think Randy might have asked me to do this uh, sermon, to handle this sermon, because, you know, he was aware of a time when I struggled with being preoccupied with my career. I'm a faculty member at the university. I'm a tenured faculty member. And there was a time when I wasn't a tenured faculty member. And as my, my tenure clock was, was ticking... Um, I had some, some concerns because, you know, if I don't get tenure, I have to pack up my family. I have to move. Um, and so that was, uh, that took up some space. You know, that, that really did take up some space. Um, so there's a real risk of this uh, career or money or these types of things uh, taking up that prominent space in our mind or being at the center of all our decisions. We can be preoccupied with these things. Now, in addition to some of these worry-related preoccupations, there are some other preoccupations um, that may start off innocent enough, 
but kind of leak into preoccupation. And I call these the sneaky preoccupations. Uh, These are things that we kind of take up because maybe they entertain us. Kind of, hey, this is kind of fun. But then at some point, oh, it slips into preoccupation. Uh, So, for example, kind of with March, March Madness on, right, sometimes sports can play this role, can sneak into preoccupation. Whether it's a team, whether it's a sport, this thing takes up this prominent space in our minds, or it serves as the center of a lot of our decisions. Uh, and just so that you know, I'm equal opportunity, Facebook, right? Might be another, another kind of fun thing that leaks into preoccupation, right? We, we have a post, and we think we've said something profound. So I have to see who likes it. Who likes it? I got to figure it out. That's all. You know, wait a minute. No one's posted? What? Um, so that's another thing that could sneak into preoccupation. And finally, if I think about gaming, you know, um, electronics, you know, you have children, I'm looking at some children, right, where you, you know, you, they do the electronics, they spend, they spend an hour of electronics time, and what happens next? They're thinking about what they're going to do with their next electronics time, right? But that's not just with kids, Gaming has been, is one of these things that starts off at fun. Even as adults, we run into issues with not being preoccupied, not allowing it to take up this prominent space in our mind or being at the center of our decisions, right? All right, so these are some examples of preoccupation. What are the costs of this worry, uh, which we now have kind of defined as preoccupation. What are some of the costs? Well, I've thought of three costs. They're not, this is not all inclusive, um, but there are three costs that I thought of. Uh, One is uh, our personal health. Um, There are tons of studies that talk about how uh, stress and worry can, can lead to things like hypertension or high blood pressure or other maladies. We just aren't built to live on worry. Um, and so our personal health, oddly enough, isn't this ironic? You could be worried about your health, and it could cause problems with your health. This is kind of a weird thing. Um, so our personal health. Uh, a, second, a second cost to worry are personal relationships. Uh, We actually see this in the passage that we read from, where there is a man who yells to Jesus, split my inheritance, tell my brother to split my inheritance. And so what he's doing is he is injecting conflict with his brother for the sake of his preoccupation with possessions. He is taking his relationship with his brother and putting it on the altar of his preoccupation. And we run the risk of doing the very same thing. Uh, We run the risk of taking our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our children, and putting them on the altar of our preoccupation with our careers, um, with gaming. You know, listen, I I had a conversation uh, a few months ago. Um, I was in a, a big round table of people I didn't know that I work with, that work in the same place. Um, 
And we got into this conversation, and sometimes this happens when I'm at the table. We get in this deep conversation, don't know where it started. Uh, but this woman shared that she lost her husband to gaming. She said, I, I couldn't get him back. He ignored our children. He ignored me. He put everything into this gaming thing. So this is serious. This is serious. You, can, you run the risk of, of costing yourself personal relationships when you have these preoccupations. Uh, a third cost, and, and perhaps um, probably the biggest cost, and, and actually related to the, the previous two potentially, um, is the cost to our personal witness. Uh, and I think Jesus actually alludes to this in our focal passage in, when, he, when he says in verse 29, uh, verse 29 and 30, where he says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. And then in verse 30, he says, For the pagan world runs after all such things. What Jesus is saying is that if you occupy, if you become preoccupied with the same thing that the world is preoccupied with, you don't distinguish yourself. You're no different than the world. And guys, we are supposed to be different. I hope that's not news. We are supposed to be different. That people should look at us as believers and go, well, that guy's, that cat's a little different. There should be a difference. And if we aren't different, if we aren't different, then we lose credibility. We don't have a personal witness. Okay? Now, uh, how should we respond to worry? How should we respond to worry? Well, this is where I, I might be throwing you a bit of a curveball. Because as I've been exposed to this passage and uh, read this passage, um, I generally have gotten the impression that I'm just not supposed to worry. I'm not supposed to be preoccupied with anything. I'm supposed to rid myself of all preoccupation. But I don't think that's what Jesus says. So if we read uh, verse 31, uh, Jesus says, But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. In other words, after he's talked about, hey, don't seek, don't be preoccupied with those things that the world is preoccupied with. What Jesus says is, but do be preoccupied with his kingdom. Be preoccupied with me. Be preoccupied. So rather than, rather than ridding ourselves of all preoccupation, what Jesus would say is you got to exchange preoccupations. You got to turn in those worldly preoccupations and become preoccupied with me. So, how do we become preoccupied with the kingdom of God? How do we become preoccupied with Christ? Um, well, um, I'm going to use a word, but this word describes something. It seems like every time I stand up here, I say these things right? Certain things, but I also think that these things need to be said. Um, and the word I'm going to use today is invest. We need to invest. That's how we become preoccupied. Um, what does it mean to invest? It means that we read God's word, 
regularly, study God's word, that we pray consistently, and that we engage, engage in relationships with other believers. That's what I mean by invest. Now, that doesn't come easy to most of us. Uh, Some of us, it doesn't come easy because maybe we weren't brought up in a church home and these kind of discipline-like things are not things that we're used to. So it's difficult to kind of of get in the flow, so to speak. Um, But even if you do have that type of background uh, where you were brought up in in a church home and those types of things, it's still difficult. So what do you do? You know, how do we... How do we improve in that area? How do we grow in that area? Well, uh, I'm going to tell you a story, and maybe this will help. Uh, Most of you, and my son's in here, most of you, well, not most of you, a lot of you know my son. You know who he is. You know he's a good kid. You know he has a good heart. And when I was his age, I was a lot like him, not to toot my own horn, uh, but I was a good kid too, Uh, likable guy. Uh, probably cried a little too much, uh, but, but I was a good kid. Um, I was a smart kid, too, just like, just like Noah. I was smart, but I wasn't the best student in the world. Right? I was an athlete. I played basketball, um, still like to play from time to time, um, but I wasn't the greatest student in the world, and unfortunately, Noah, he, he got some of that from me. Yeah, you got a little sliver of that from me. Um, and about, oh, six months ago when school started, I had this conversation. I said, no, I, I can relate to you, man. I know where you're coming from. You know, your mother was valedictorian. I wasn't. I can relate to where you're coming from. And so I asked him two questions. The first question I asked him is, do you want to be a good student? And he said, yes, I want to be a good student. The second question was, do you know what a good student looks like? Do you know what they do? Yeah. Okay. So then I said, look, if you know what a good student looks like and you want to be a good student, don't worry about becoming a good student. Just pretend. Just pretend you're a good student. When the teacher is writing something on the board, what would a good student do? Ah, you probably take notes. Okay, just do that. You're not a good student. You're just pretending. Okay? And he agreed to do that. And uh, two quarters, two reporting periods uh, later, he's made all A's, right? He just had the third reporting period. He made all A's again. Amen. (laughs) And, And about... And, and so two, after two reporting periods, I'm, I'm driving him to school, and I say, Noah, let me ask you something. Are you still pretending? And he said, no. I'm a good student. And I said, you're right. But you know why that worked? And I'm talking to you now, not him. You know why that worked? It's because, it's because he invested And you value the things you invest in. Once you invest in something, you begin to value it. In business research, we call this escalation of commitment, right? I'm investing in something, 
and it makes me value it more. But that's how it works. You invest, and then you value. This works in relationships, right? Those of you who are married, don't wait for you to feel like investing. If you don't feel like investing in your marriage, that's precisely the time you need to invest more. Why? Because your investment leads your heart. And I read this uh, interesting. I, I read, you know, you can still be on the same, in the same passage. Just a few verses after the focal passage, verse 34, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I guess I've always looked at that passage and thought, well, if I want to know where someone's heart is, I'll look at where their treasure is. But the other truth is that where I place my treasure, my heart follows. And so if I need help investing, I need to invest first and then let my heart follow. Don't wait for my heart to be in it. Invest first and let your heart follow. Uh, Even if you have to pretend. Even if you have to pretend. All right. So uh, uh, Paul actually... Uh, to make this biblical, uh, Paul, <laughs> Paul actually talks about this, right? In, in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, imitate those, imitate those who are strong in their faith. Imitate. Let's pretend. Imitate those who are strong in, your, in faith. Um, so, he talked about worry. Uh, worry is, is, is preoccupation. Uh, We talked about the cost of worry or preoccupation. We talked about how we should respond to this preoccupation. Now, it might or it shouldn't come as a surprise that I am not perfectly preoccupied. I'm not perfectly preoccupied with the kingdom of God. Um, I have those times, and I mentioned some of those times, uh, when uh, I have other things of this world that creep in and... uh, and take up that prominent space in my mind or, or position at the center of my decisions. But on my better days, on my better days, I remember. Um, uh, one is I remember, I remember the severity of my offense against God, that, that, that I rebelled against God. Um, that's a serious offense. But the beauty of remembering the severity of my offense against God is that now I can see the magnitude of God's grace. I see what he's done. He's taken me and all of my issues and says, well, I'm going to throw some grace your way because I love you anyway. Right? On my better days, I remember how blessed I am. I mean, I couldn't have imagined, I couldn't have imagined um, being a kid in San Antonio, Texas, um, that I would be where I am, and frankly, I couldn't imagine being up on this stage. So I, on my better days, I remember I'm blessed. On my, on my better days, on my better days, um, I have, <laughs> these are real special days when I have the opportunity to see that sometimes God has blessed others through me, and that is a real privilege. That's a real privilege. And so on those days, it's easier for me to be preoccupied with Christ because on those days, I recognize that he 
is worthy. He is worthy. And so my challenge to you, my challenge to you, is to make today a better day. He is worthy. My challenge to you is to make this week a better week. He is worthy. We have this all-in campaign. Make this year a better year. He he is worthy. Time for me to pray. (laughs) Father in heaven, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your faithfulness to us, for your grace, for your mercy, for your loving those who don't deserve your love. Father, you have seen us through some difficult times, some challenging times, and that makes you worthy. You have sacrificed what no person could ever imagine sacrificing, that we might have relationship with you. And so you're worthy. You have taken our sin, placed it on your son. All that we can have access to you and your love. You are worthy. You have given us the opportunity to play a role in your history, you are worthy.